You are listening to the Moms Full Circle Podcast, a place for moms or moms-to-be to come together and support one another, laugh together, maybe cry together, ask your most random baby questions too, judgment-free, and tune in to hear all things motherhood. As a mama myself, I know the importance of having a tribe to lean on during this wild ride. I hope this podcast will do that for you too. So grab a cup of coffee or maybe a glass of wine, probably the video monitor too, and let's dive in. Hey, you guys, welcome back to the Mom's Full Circle Podcast. I've got my partner in crime here, Squealy Begeely Girl. These are happy squeals. Turn your volume down. But also, quick, wanted to remind you that the Mom's Full Circle subscription is up and ready for you. Four workouts every week, follow-along videos with me doing them with you. These are the same workouts that I'm doing on my postpartum journey. So I hope you guys will join us. You can use the link in my bio to subscribe and start today. All right. Hey, you guys. Welcome back to the Moms Full Circle podcast. Today I have Stephanie on the podcast who's going to introduce herself in just a minute here, but we are going to be talking all things language. We're going to be talking a little bit about early feeding. Um, she's a speech and language pathologist, so this is like her, this is her place. So welcome to the podcast, Stephanie. Why don't you just dive in? Tell us about you, who you are, and what you do. Thank you so much, Caroline, for having me. Um, so I'm a speech language pathologist. I have been blessed to be working in the field for almost nine years now. Uh, interesting story as to why I had gotten into the field. I would, my undergraduate was in psychology. I kind of like a lot of us in undergraduate, what am I going to do with this? Where am I going? And my parents are both former, they're both retired educators. And what I did was I interned a summer in an extended school year with children that were on the autistic spectrum and the speech language pathologist there gave the children their voice i mean long story short over a two months period i had kids that were frustrated and actually were like empowered to speak um, and that's that was kind of what drew me to the field i was like what is there's nothing better than, like I said, giving children their voice and empowering them, right? So that's how I've gotten into the field. I went to school down um, in New Orleans. So I did my clinical rotations in Children's Hospital and uh, Turo, which is like a, a major neurological hospital down there. Um, and then for the past nine years, I've been working with um, school-age children and early intervention which is when people ask um, what really lights me up about the field, it is babies and toddlers, right? So kind of being that first person that's coming on in and helping with either swallowing, feeding, um, functional communication, and like making that connection like fun and empowering in the homes with parents. So that's, you know, that's long story short of what I do and why I love what I do. And it's cool that it's such like an authentic way how you got into it. You saw a need and you thought, you know, oh, I could make a difference in here. And I'm full time. I'm a special education teacher, but still on my extended maternity leave. So 
I totally hear where you're coming from, and it's it's true that it can either be frustration because they can't express what they need to say, or even receptively they don't they don't know. And to be able to try to tackle that early and give them some tools and give them that voice is probably such a rewarding experience for you too. Absolutely, and that's that's great to hear that you're a special ed teacher. My mom was, so oh, okay. she for like thirty years, but I grew up with that. So yeah. Like, you know, and so you know, like how important it is, and I always tell parents too, like even as adults, to be able to be understood and mm-hmm. be able to communicate, mm-hmm. right? So it's just kind of as it just shows the importance of like kicking that off from yeah. babyhood, right? Yeah, so. yeah, it's true, and it's and we'll we'll dive into it, but it's like. You see it even with like my daughter's five months right now and we're getting, you know, the squealing and the babbling, but there's times that I can see the wheels turning and then she just lets out this huge frustrated grunt and I'm like, I know, I know you want to like tell me a whole sentence right now and you can't, but you know, we're going to get there. (laughs) Yeah. So I kind of want to, you know, hit on the two big areas that you definitely share a lot on your page too, as far as language and then feeding, which you talked, you know, a little bit about at the beginning. But if we kick it off with language, you know, looking at baby's first year of life, it's like a huge year of growth. But it's also, I think, for families, especially that maybe aren't in the field of whether it's language or education or things like that it seems like they just don't talk, you know? So what do I do with them? I don't have to do anything with them. We'll get there later. And there are so many things I'm sure that we could be doing. So could you kind of give like a little bit of a rundown of what's going on in that first year and what are things maybe that parents could do to support that growth? Of course. And I think also what's more readily available online is like the major milestones and people hear about like walking and crawling, right? And that's kind of why I started the page because I'm like, you know, let's talk about communication, right? Mm -hmm. And how we interact in the world. So I did write down a couple of things. If parents are really interested in the breakdown, because I won't be able to go over all of Mm -hmm. it, ASHA, A-S-H-A is our like governing body. And they actually break down, it's almost like a checklist of what to expect Mm. at certain stages. But I I jotted down a few that I think are kind of important to like for parents to kind of benchmark in their mind. So from like birth to three, if we're talking about baby, like interacting with mom or dad, quieting or smiling to mom's or dad's voice. That's one. Mm -hmm. Um, Crying for different needs, which you had mentioned. Yeah. Uh, and like cooing sounds. So they're starting to make some sounds. Um, Four to six months, that's where like an interest in music comes in. Um, They like to listen to music. I often um, kind of get parents, I'm like, let's sing. Let's like start singing. And I will dive into that a little bit as like a technique that I use. Um, That's when babbling will like begin around like four to six months and like giggling, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that kind of social interaction there. And then from seven to one, uh, seven months to one year, we're looking at uh, baby will look when you're pointing at something and they will point. This is when gestures begin. So if you want to kind of kick off early, more functional communication, like baby signs are great. Mm-hmm. I always tell parents, I'm not trying to teach your child to be function, you know, a f- functional sign language you know Mm -hmm. it's really what it is it's like to bridge the gap 
between uh, their ability to actually like co-articulate and make words and like that communication frustration, right? Mm -hmm. So, but it feeds into the gestures at this point, which is what's innate. Peekaboo, so like object permanence, which I'm sure you're aware of. Um, and then let's see, like shaking head no, waving bye. So there we go, all those gestures. And then as a general rule of thumb, and we're talking about, because parents are like, what should my child be saying? So what we term mean length of utterance is like how many words are coming out of their mouth. So the easiest thing is their, your child's mean length of utterance, how much they should be saying should basically kind of be correlating with their age. So at one year, they should be labeling, which kind of helps us know what to model for our children. So we're not going to be like giving them a whole story about what's around them. We're going to be labeling, mm -hmm. right? So when baby's pointing and saying, eh, yes dog you know big dog what noise does a doggy make so then we're talking about functional mm -hmm. babble right mm -hmm. um so those are kind of like the basic milestones like i said if moms want to dive into that so readily available and i can even send that your way but that's kind of what we're looking for um and then ways to support Okay, I'm highly into, and this is what I love about early intervention, naturalistic ways to support baby communicating, functionally communicating and understanding. First step, get on their level. So like, you know, a lot of the times we're doing different things around the kitchen, mom's busy, right? We have a million things that we're doing. So even if you have the bouncer like up around your face, right? That's, that's number one, because what can we do with that? Baby can imitate facial expressions, we can imitate with them. Um, I do like a lot of playing from the mirror because baby will like look at themselves when they start to get to that age. Um, this is also like floor time model, which I do as a speech therapist and it's like child directed play. So they're interested in something, you're pointing to it, you're looking at what they're looking at, you're labeling different things. Oh, face, nose, you know, oh, I see that. Um, I absolutely, for this first year, um, singing songs, I have a lot of parents that are like, nobody wants to hear me. And I'm like, you listen to me, like, it's, not, <laughs> it's nothing beautiful about it. But what I love about that is, um, I do a lot of expectant pause with babies and I tell parents to, I recommend doing this. So let's talk about, um, either the wheels on the bus, you would say something like the wheel on the bus go what do I do baby when they first start gesturing they're gonna try to mm -hmm. do the hand gestures or old McDonald's animal noises which you have some functional mm -hmm. you know verbalizations there and they're in familiar routines for babies because they've heard these songs a million times so there's that safety in vocalizing so you know, a lot of play, a lot of getting down, a lot of my kids, and it really depends on what your child loves to do, right? Or what they like to watch. So, you know, toys, pushing toys, um, banging over blocks. Once you've built them up, they love that. Mm -hmm. Cause and effect, you know, boom, lots of like sounds, you know, mm -hmm. like sound words. Um, and then another thing that I really do find is helpful for parents and I always do this as a clinician is giving binary choice so two with anything number one and this will like segue into feeding it's like your child still feels empowered like they have a choice 
but also it gives you the, you the opportunity to kind of label and um, give that vocabulary for different things as opposed to like they have like seven different options mm-hmm. so you know it's just like motor learning and you know how we learn is through yeah. repetition but like you know functional repetition which is so great about like speech and language in the home right because that's how we learn yeah environments right um books i have a couple books that i love so i'll just i'm gonna throw that out there for yeah parents. go for it really big into pre-literacy skills that's not my they have an entire series. Um, I like it because it's textured and very, the pictures are not too crazy, but they're functional like body parts that baby will eventually have to like label or you want them to label um, on the animals. Oh. So that's one of my favorites. So that and like lift the flap and like, yeah. I could do an entire podcast on like books. It's <laughs> like, I have to throw yeah. that in there. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And it's, like you said, like how cool that you get to go into their homes because a lot of the techniques that you're using are just part of their normal day-to-day. And then I would imagine for parents, it's so helpful because they can watch you and you're right again in their home versus like if they were in a therapy setting, it's kind of hard to carry over and what did she do again? And oh, it didn't work this way at our house. So I think it probably takes the pressure off too that it's like, oh, that's all I have to do is just, you know, like spend some time with them and kind of give them some of the words of things that are around them. And I think it's great. I think also, I mean, that's what I love about that because in the schools, and like I said, I I do work in the schools, it's more, it's academically based, but the parents don't really see what's going on. And I tell parents when I go into the home, I'm like, listen, I'm with your child. The most of a mandate that I've had is like three hours a week. Right. But I'm like, you're with your child the entire rest of the time. So I'm going to be teaching you these skills and like carry them over. And when the parents are so excited about the progress, I'm like, that's you, you know, like I, (laughs) yeah, it it really is. So, um, you know, and like I said, it's empowering for the children and for the parents. So it's like a win. (laughs) And I like too, like when you were describing these milestones, you have a range, you know, they will probably start babbling between four and six months. And that kind of takes the pressure off of like, oh gosh, like they were supposed to be doing it by four months and they're five months now. So, but is there a point where it gets to maybe that parents should start being a little bit concerned or, you know, how, how do you kind of, uh, walk that fine line between, you know, it's developmentally okay. And maybe we should be a little bit concerned. So, I mean, I think as a general rule of thumb, some of so early intervention, I have kids that range from three months, which is usually my feeding kids, my pre preemies, multiples, um, to about, so two, three years. But a lot of the times parents will get concerned around the two year range, right? If there's like no verbalization. I would say, I mean, like to be in the middle around one and a half, I would really like to see some kinds of words coming in unless the child is bilingual. So we do put that into account, right? Because their brain is is learning two languages mm-hmm. virtually. So they will start to speak more so around the 18 month range as opposed to the 12 month range. So like there are so many different factors, but what I would say is like around a year and a half if there's no vocalizations or no like attempts to functionally communicate, 
like definitely like kind of dive into that and be like, all right, what's going on? Because I, I mean, I say functionally communicate because we communicate in various different ways, right? Even if we're throwing stuff around, that's a communication, right? This, is, this isn't working, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like I said, I would say around a year and a half, how is my baby communicating and how can I make that more fun functional? Mm -hmm. So with, when I spoke about signs, I touched on that, like the all done sign, right? Oftentimes, even with very young babies, if they don't want to eat something or whatever, I'll show or do hand over hand. Oh, we're all done. Mm -hmm. There's a more functional way to communicate what we want as opposed to, right. you know, right. physical, right? Right. <laughs> well, cool. and it's, I think too, you know, that one and a half to two years old age, I think it's important for parents to know too that it's okay. You know, like early intervention is so huge for these kids that they're not at least going to, you know, kindergarten or first grade with no language. Like, you know, I think that social media is a blessing and a curse. And I think, you know, you can get to comparing what that baby can do versus your baby. And then it's like the world is ending. And I, I think it's good that, you know, even in listening to the way you talk about it, you can tell like the pressure's off and you're just kind of like, you know, it'll be fine. We can take a look at it and here's what we can do about it. And I think also with the social media thing that you had touched on, I mean, a lot of people show their highlights, right? I mean, they're not showing somebody having a tantrum unless it's a, a certain, you know, account for that. Mm -hmm. So, and it's hard because it's that comparison with the parents. And I mean, that's scary, you know, regardless of what's going on with my child. Are they typical? You know, how, am I, how can I help them? Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. like I said, too. And they're so... I know that there's new research even saying, even into our adulthood, we can change those like neuronal pathways. So the idea of there being a cutoff, I mean, it's great babies and toddlers, but there is, there is still room to grow. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there's what you do. You can see that. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now kind of changing gears a little bit to get into feeding, early feeding, especially in where you're working. Um, I think one of the hot questions is when to know when baby's ready for solids. And I know personally, like, as I dove into this for our family, it's just crazy how much conflicting information is out there. We went to her four-month checkup and it was, yep, start it if you want it. And then as I get on the internet, it's no, wait until six months. So what are some of the ways that you kind of guide families and help them decide when to introduce um, solids? Okay, so basically, like developmentally, if we're talk talking about purees, four to six months, right? They talk about four to six months with purees. Um, table food, well, actually, let's just start from the beginning. Baby starting to teeth, right? So we're thinking about, because every child is different when they're starting to bring things to their mouth and grab things. So that's number one step. If I see a baby like going towards mommy's um, plate, right? Okay, they're interested in this. Um, but generally I would say like seven to nine months if we're talking about table foods and like those first solids, so something like an avocado, banana, we're talking about softer mm -hmm. solids, mm -hmm. right? Um, anatomically wise, the most important thing um, just for safety is baby being able to hold themselves up upright their head upright 
and when they're in their um, high chair, being able to hold themselves upright. So if we think about that, they have that postural support to um, be able to chew solids, to be able to grab, and then furthermore, when they swallow, right? Because like, have we ever tried to eat laying down? It's very hard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? like, mm -hmm. It's going to be going down the right way, right? So yeah. even if there's like some textural issue where they're not liking it and they spit it out, they can do that because they're holding themselves upright, right? They're not like flopping around. Um, the other thing I always recommend for parents is like good foot support. Mm -hmm. And I like to put this analogy, like let's say you went out to a restaurant to eat and you're seated at the bar and they don't have a place for you to put your feet, like you're not going to eat because <laughs> even as adults, mm -hmm. because there's no support there as to where you are in space. Um, so, and then that speaks to gross motor. So where your body is and then fine motor, which is the chewing and the reaching and then the swallow. Mm -hmm. So really once baby's able to hold themselves up and they're grabbing for mommy's things and they're teething, that's where, where it's like, okay, you can try this, this kind of thing, mm -hmm. you know, these, this food. So. Makes sense. Yeah. I like that. And I like that it's, it is individual to each baby, you know, and I think that that's what's hard about what's on the internet is it's, you know, do not do it before six months or you should do it before six months. And it really is. It's so different according to the baby. Totally. And I mean, baby led weaning is messy. I mean, everybody talks about it. It's, it's a mess, right? So even if you are starting them with purees, a lot of the babies that I have will like to hold their own spoon while mom's trying to like, you know, give, you know, present the, the food to them. Um, just basic feeding, um, babies ready to take purees. If you, if you present the spoon and they're like leaning towards it. Right. So those cues, yeah, which, you know, it's, um, let them wipe their own face because that's like the sensory thing of, Oh, there's something here. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Cause I know a lot of moms want to eat and I've, I've done it before when I was, you know, you want to kind of like wipe the puree off their lower lip. I would encourage them to do it themselves, like by tapping it so that they're, they're exploring that or licking it off their lip. Mm -hmm. That's like a oral motor thing. Oh, interesting. Well. Okay. <laughs> um, let's see. You did ask about baby lead weeding. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And you had mentioned, I was going to say like, there's, you talked a little bit about the purees and then getting into um, more softer solids. So kind of, I guess, maybe walk us through those approaches is, you know, what is baby lead weaning versus, you know, feeding baby ourselves. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think like I, I, it may be a generational thing because I was thinking to myself, did I feed myself as a child or like were my parents always spoon feeding me, right? Like, right. So remember, I mean, I was, I grew up in the 80s, so. But really what baby led weaning is letting baby feed themselves. That's like, if you Google it, it's like this, this is what it is, right? So like you're presenting it to them and they're able to grab and explore, which is, I mean, it, it speaks to a lot of um, babies being able to kind of like pace themselves, have more like a playful interaction with food. Why? Because they're using their hands. They're not using those forks or those utensils until they're a little bit older. Unless you scoop and I do, there are some spoons where you literally just push into the puree and they can pick it up and like, you know, kind of eat it off of it with not talking about like OT and what they should be doing like with the, <laughs> 
utensils, but um, I encourage baby led weaning because there is that um, maturity that baby can be like, all right, I'm going to pace myself with like grabbing this, this food item. Um, obviously like you're not presenting like an entire, like a cracker or something that would be too, too much to begin with. Um, but it really is kind of more of a baby being able to pace themselves when they're exploring this food and getting messy and licking it off their hands and like off the tray or, mm -hmm. you know, even throwing it off the tray. Cause that's touching food. Right? Yeah. And that's a clear indication that, Hey, you know, I'm yeah. not really feeling that broccoli here. Um, so I, I like it. I, you know, I do encourage it. Um, the only time when it's an issue is, and I mean, of course, being a speech therapist, I have some kids that are more so shovelers, right? So there's not that pacing. So that's where I would tell a parent, all right, let's put like one slice of avocado down at first. And then we're going to go from there, right? Yeah. You know, kind of give some cues as to it's still there, you know, we're still playing with it, <laughs> you know, yeah. Encourage now is that something too like if families are starting off with the purees or the baby oatmeal or anything like that do you recommend if families are choosing baby led weaning to kind of just put it down on the tray and let them dig in with their fingers and hands or do you still recommend kind of a spoon feed like what would you recommend for those families I feel like it's I mean there's like a, it can be a combination. A lot of my kids, it will be a combination. So I'm like, all right, let's put the, because oatmeal, that's going to get really messy. Put some oatmeal on your spoon, give them the baby spoon with the oatmeal, and then kind of either show them like how you're eating it or present it to them. And then they're going to try to grab their other spoon because a lot of the kids I see double fist <laughs> and try to feed themselves as well. So you're kind of modeling, um, like how they feed themselves, you know, especially at the beginning when we're talking about the rice cereal, because mm -hmm. I mean, that's nearly impossible, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you know yeah. like, what is happening with the rice cereal yeah. on the head, you yep. know, it's everywhere. Yep. So I, I, I like a combination of both showing modeling, because we know modeling is incredibly important for any kind of learning, right? Um, and then kind of letting them dive in, you know, in between, because then there, there's more of that like free flow, fun interaction with food. If parents can, and a lot of the times parents can't cause you eat later than your babies, but I've had a lot of babies, parents text me and they're like, she's reaching for my plate. What do I do? And I'm like, if there's anything that you can possibly present and, you know, you put her in her high chair see if you know she see if she'll try it yeah. so but then there's that model right of we're mm -hmm. all eating together yep. and this you know that's what i've fun i've loved that i mean we just started this past week with the oatmeal but i sit down and i have my oatmeal with her too and i'm yeah. like i love it it's one of my favorite parts of the day cuz it's you know just it's it's a nice experience i think for both of us it's messy but it's fun so, and I have to say too, you know, I had, when we first got into this, I happened to be looking at your page, but I had said before to my husband, I said, I wish that I could just find like a timeline of like, start here and then do this and then do this and then do this. And then I happened to be on your page and you had a visual just like that. I'm like, this is what I wanted. And you the did. Solid progression. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's, 
there's just so much out there of kind of where to start. Um, and you did kind of already kind of talk us through like, yep, you can go purees and then softer solids and this kind of thing. Um, is there anything else you would add to that for families? Like, are there, you know, certain purees that you would recommend fruits, vegetables, a mixture? Is there like a timeline of maybe start with these ones and then wait a while before you introduce a new one? Like, how do you approach that with your families? So uh, I have a lot of parents, uh, a lot of my parents are, they read up on like, what should, when should I introduce new solids? I know that they talk about, I think it's like a three day period as to like, especially with fruits, like seeing if there's an allergic reaction, we're talking about, you know, kind of like allergies if we're, if we're diving into that. Uh, with the purees, you start with a thicker, um, like you would start with, cause they have these different levels and then you get thicker as the puree goes, right? Cause if you're thinking about it and I always tell parents, it's like you walk before you run, right? And it's the same way with feeding. So baby has just been having milk and then you're starting to add, you know, the rice cereal and then you're getting thicker, um, with those purees. As far as like combination goes, it really, I mean, this is kind of where I probably aspire more towards like baby led weaning and like, what, what does the baby like? Right. So we're going to dive into what they like and then kind of add to that. Cause I have some kids that have some interesting likes, like some spicier things, you know? Um, and then you're just kind of taking what they like and you're expanding their repertoire. So if they like some kinds of like fruits, you would kind of maybe start to add things with vegetables. Um, and it kind of goes, that even goes into eventually once babies are starting on the solids, more of like a food chaining approach where like baby only likes crackers. All right, let's expand what kind of crackers or mm -hmm. what kind of crunchy things they can eat. Mm -hmm. So, um, kind of, like I said, combination is great, but see, see what they like and then mm -hmm. go from there. Yeah. And that's, because that's the same thing with interaction and play, right? Like follow your child's lead. What are they interested in? Cars? Cool. You know, yeah. like sharks? Awesome. You yeah. know? <laughs> so. And it takes the pressure off and it's like, you know, you had mentioned, you know, what did we do when we were kids? Well, it probably was a lot of what do you like and let's do it this way because social media wasn't there to tell us, oh you know, differently and there weren't 5,000 different approaches. It was just hey, she seemed to really like, you know, pureed carrots. Let's, you know, stick with Let's that and that. add more. Yeah. Keep it <laughs> simple. I also, I mean, it probably was in line with the baby led weaning, at least for my family, because we would have Sunday dinners and I was there since I was a baby. So like me, even at the high chair, and I talked to parents with older kids about this and the importance of eating a meal together. But like, I know there were some like pasta, there was pasta thrown at me when I was a baby, you know, like they're sitting with everyone, you know, meatballs, of course, right? Mm -hmm. so, you know, it's more of a like, try it out, less like, oh my gosh, what's going on? How can I facilitate this? Just kind of, and like I said again before about like speech and language, it's kind of making it more fun, right? Like let's make it fun. Let's make it exploratory. Let's not make it so rigid where it's anxiety producing for you. And then for baby, because right. our children are so intuitive. I mean, that's. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's true. 
It's true. Well, I, you are just like a wealth of knowledge with all of this, and I feel like I could talk forever about it, but can you share where people could find you, um, where you kind of post most of your stuff, and then do you do virtual um, training do. as well with people? So, I mean, where people could find you for that, too. So, um, everything is, it's remotely speech, so um, you can find me there. I have a lot of families, most of my early intervention right now are remote just because some of my kids are medically fragile and going into the home with the whole COVID thing. And it's very easy for me to perform or or do services remotely. Um, And like I said, parents are way more, they're way more involved. Um, But I also do do in person. I live in downtown Denver. So after my uh, after school hours, I do see babies in person as well, just because of that interaction. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, like I, I miss it. Yeah. Um, and I post on my Instagram. I try to do at least two to three times a week, and it's really um, I have a lot of moms that like I've built a community out of, and any kind of questions that come my way, I try to answer them, and it's really just kind of empowering moms. Like this is kind of what's going on, speech and language and feeding. And I've had quite a few collaborations with um, some nutritionists because of course that goes hand in hand with baby led mm-hmm. weaning. And like mm-hmm. I said, I, mean, I feel like it's kicked off in recent years. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, that's like the easiest way to find me. Awesome. Well, I will make sure to put that all in the show notes so that people can connect with you and find your page because I can kind of second what you said that you do put a lot of great information out there, but it's in a way that is understandable so that parents can feel empowered to kind of take what you're teaching them and apply it. Of course. And I'm so glad that you found me. Yes. (laughs) Yes, I am too. And thank you for coming on. If you enjoyed today's episode of the Moms Full Circle podcast, be sure to hit subscribe so you can stay up to date with all of our new episodes. I'm always looking to expand my tribe, so please reach out. You can find me at Caroline underscore Prestano on social media. I can't wait to connect with you, and I'll catch you in the next episode.